Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question, while providing real solutions from a biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Charles Roberts and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Hello, and welcome to another Out of the Question podcast. I'm Pastor Charles Roberts, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andrea Schwartz. Hi, Charles. Today, we have a very interesting topic. Of course, we think all of our topics are interesting, but this one will be of special interest, I think, to uh, some, if not most, of our listeners. And that question is this, are faith-based movies an effective means of bringing others to Christ or communicating the gospel? And I think behind that is an issue that we want to talk about, and that is what exactly is a faith-based movie? Now, Andrea, you were the one that brought this up to me, and I think it's a good subject, but I, I want to kick it back over to you. I've, I've been watching the World Cup soccer matches, so I'm saying kick it back over to you. I see, uh, I see. Okay. And what am I supposed to say in soccer terms? I got it? Um, goal, I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, well, we'll just stop that analogy. All right. The reason I thought it was something we should cover is because, like so many parts of life, we have compartmentalized things. It is my contention that every movie is a faith-based movie because there is going to be some sort of world and life view, a faith, if you will, that's communicated. So Star Wars is a faith-based movie. Jurassic Park is a faith-based movie. The Godfather is a faith-based movie because there's a world and life view that basically says what is the ultimate concern. So when we allow ourselves to think in a ghetto-like mentality, and by a ghetto I mean a group of people who just hang out together and they don't assimilate into the greater culture, we can get trapped into thinking that these other movies, which quite frankly many Christians love and many Christians go to and support the movie studios that make them, They don't recognize that, number one, they're absorbing a faith, which is being communicated in these films. But when they look at the quote-unquote Christian faith-based movies, are they satisfied that the gospel message is really being communicated? And I want to follow up on that, uh, the first part of that point that you were making, because it immediately brought to mind an article that I had just read that was sent out across the Chalcedon email list that was written by Mark Rastuni a few years ago on the subject of pornography. And uh, keying on some of his father's earlier writings, Mark, I think, made the point that there's a lot more going on in pornographic images and stories than just the, the titillating parts, the, uh, the parts meant to play on the sexual emotions of people who expose themselves to these things, that, in fact, pornography represents a worldview. There is a faith, as strange as it may sound, in that type of imagery, uh, pictures, uh, film, whatever it may be. And uh, it is one that communicates a purely humanistic and humanistic-centered worldview. Um, But anyway, that's a a, a prime example. I think people would not necessarily think, oh, well, there's a worldview associated with that movie. Uh, it's all purely just this libidinous kind of thing. But in fact, there's something far more philosophical and ideological going on. And I think that is one of the things that makes, among others, pornography so dangerous and vile is the fact that it does subvert a person's perspective on life 
um, and their, their whole way of thinking about what it means to be human. And while that's true, and I don't want to underplay that because we have to say the majority of people in our society are digesting that kind of thing because that's where they go to. But the, the, the thought I had in bringing up this topic was how many people who identify themselves as Christians, evangelical Christians, people who want others to know the, the freedom and liberty that come through Jesus Christ – embrace these quote-unquote Christian faith-based movies, but do they examine whether or not the takeaway from these movies is truly a faithful, biblical, godly message? Or do a lot of these movies communicate a morality and sort of sprinkle in a little bit of Jesus? But my observation is it's very rare in any of these quote-unquote, Christian faith-based movies, that you get anything more than a, a generalized idea of God. And very rarely are they talking about Jesus Christ and the need for a Redeemer because you're hopelessly lost. Well, and I think that raises the, the issue, um, the larger issue that you mentioned also at the beginning. Uh, and the, the title of our topic is, uh, what constitutes uh, a faith-based or a Christian-based based movie. And as we had discussed a few moments ago, uh, before we started, you know, there are older versions of what might be considered faith-based movies that at least um, pretended or made an effort, depending on your perspective, to replicate on film a, a biblical story or a biblical message. You know, whether we're thinking about Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, you know, there was a raft of these movies, I think, in the 50s, Quo Vadis, about the persecution of the early church. I don't know if you ever saw that film, but uh, the character who played uh, St. Peter uh, actually looked, was dressed like the Pope. <laughs> I mean, wow. wore these white robes and, you know, was speaking Latin and all this kind of thing. I remember um, the story of Ruth because yeah. when I actually read the account in the scripture about Ruth, I was shocked that it wasn't like the movie. Yeah, I remember that film too. That one's probably a little bit less known, uh, well known as the Ten Commandments, but uh, if you watch the Charlton Heston Ten Commandments movie, the whole project of the Israelites wanting to get out of Egypt is, guess what? Not so they can go and worship and serve God and, and be basically in bondage to him as opposed to Pharaoh, but rather, we want to be free. We, we deserve our freedom. So it, it, uh, it very much comports with a mid-20th century American political agenda. And that goes back to the idea that whoever constitutes a story in a sense, is the god of that story. The author, the director in a movie, the person who writes the screenplay, there are going to be certain things they want to promote and certain things they want to leave out. And so a lot of these historical accounts of either people of faith or characters in the scripture are coming from how the author interprets it. And sometimes the results are startlingly anemic in terms of not so much what does the Christian who sees that movie say, oh, yeah, that's probably a little bit like this. What's the effect on someone who doesn't know much about anything? Is the takeaway, I should be more moral? I shouldn't cheat on my wife? I should be honest? Or are they pointed to the fact that their major sin is that they don't worship the living God with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the, the, the challenge there is that 
people who may aspire to produce a Christian film, and some have, uh, and maybe we can talk about some of those that, that you have seen that perhaps I haven't, but what, and whether those films are meant to replicate on film examples like we've mentioned, the story of Ruth or the Ten Commandments, and I'll mention a few others as we as we go along. In other words, they're taking portions of Scripture and giving it, uh, using dramatic license to present it as a motion picture, or whether they're taking more modern examples of people living in modern uh, American culture who are quote-unquote Christians and the things that they're struggling with and, and uh, that kind of thing. It raises the, the issue that we raised at the very beginning, and again, the, the title of the, the, the topic is, how effective are these things? Well, you mentioned the idea of taking dramatic license. Well, that's on stories of people in Scripture, whether we're telling the story of Joseph, or we're telling the story of King David, or the story of St. Paul. What scares me in terms of the effect of taking dramatic license is ignoring the final words of the Bible that says, if you add to this or you take away from this, there's judgment. So is it even a profitable thing to tell a story and change the circumstances a little bit because people would find that boring? Or we have to condense the story so that you know, we're not telling it in 20 hours that we're going to tell it in, you know, the 90 minutes that most people are used to. I mean, is it something that honors God by truncating the scripture or adding something a little bit more to it? Like you mentioned the Ten Commandments. Well, if you watch the Ten Commandments as a kid, you would think that a lot of it was a love story. And the fact that there was this Egyptian woman who wanted Moses to like her, but he didn't for whatever reason, and he was going to move on. I mean, you're left with, oh, wow, I can see how that was a problem. You know, he wanted her, but he was stuck between, you know, does he listen to God and leave or does he stay? So I think it's dangerous ground to add to the scripture or delete from it in a movie setting. And let's also remember that the earliest followers of Jesus, the ones who were responsible largely for evangelizing and propagating the Christian faith, of course, by means of the Holy Spirit throughout the known world of the day, which was mostly the Roman Empire, they were doing that in a culture that was awash in drama and uh, what would be the equivalent of the motion pictures of their day. The Greeks and the Romans both loved spectacles, and the Greek drama was something that had long been in existence in that part of the world. So people were not unaware of the use of drama, dramatic presentations to communicate ideas, history, these sorts of things. And the earliest Christians, Paul and the others, well, they certainly could have resorted to that sort of thing on their own. I don't know of any indication whatsoever that at least within the first several centuries, anything like that was ever done. You know, okay, the, the Greeks uh, are having an, another uh, play of, about Oedipus, but you come over here and we'll, you can watch our play about Jesus. I, I don't recall anything. It, it was the proclamation, the speaking of the word, uh, and people communicating one-on-one. And with that, let me mention the fact that of one of several references that I want to make uh, comparison to, uh, a book was published some years ago by a, um, a church growth expert named Tom Rayner, who within that category tends to be one of the 
quote, more sane ones, if I can use that terminology. It's a book called Surprising Insights from the Unchurched and Proven Ways to Reach Them. And what's interesting about this is that in doing the research for this book, uh, he and his organization interviewed almost 350 formerly unchurched people who self-identified as Christians and who were members of churches. And far and away, the number one reason these people gave as to what got them interested in becoming a follower of Jesus and, parenthesis, going to church and getting involved in the life of the church was the fact that someone they knew, either a friend or a family member, invited them. There was this personal contact. Not one, there's not one place in this book that I found where anyone said, oh, I went to see a movie and that's what led me to Christ. Not one. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that the takeaway from what I'm saying is you don't tell stories. I think we're supposed to tell stories. But rather than try to tell a story about Jesus. Now, The Passion of the Christ was a beautifully filmed movie, and I watched it, and I saw benefit in recounting the story. And you had to work a little bit in order to actually get through that movie because it was written, I mean, it was um, filmed and using a language that isn't the language we speak today, so you had to read the subtitles. Whereas it might do an adequate job of communicating the humanity of Jesus, I don't think it did anything in communicating the divinity of Jesus because how could you do that in a film? And so if you recognize the limits of things as opposed to trying to make these things what you have to have everybody go see, you'd be better served to be prepared to discuss it with people who have seen it rather than encouraging people, oh, you have to go see this movie. Yeah, and speaking of that film in particular, I think there's a couple of ways to assess it. Uh, I thought that what was done by Mel Gibson in having the dialogue in Latin and Greek and Aramaic, uh, a, a very smart thing, and I think that that can give us, like you said, a, a better appreciation for the humanity side of things, that these people that were interacting with Jesus, including Jesus himself, did not dress like your megachurch pastor. He didn't wear a suit and tie. He did not speak English. But the other side of it is um, it was the, the, the Barna uh, Research Organization. They did a study not long after that movie was released, and I don't know if you recall, I certainly do. Uh, I was pastoring a church in upstate New York at the time. There were churches all over the land that mounted massive campaigns to host special showings in theaters of the film before it was officially released or, you know, uh, buying up tickets and uh, really promoting it as, as a means of, uh, of evangelism. Well, Barna, the Barna Research Organization did a study, and they concluded, and I'm quoting here, that less than one-tenth of one percent of those who saw the film stated that they had made a profession of faith or accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior in reaction to the film's content. Now, the person who was writing about this made the observation that that's certainly better than zero percent but this guy compared it. He said, if I ran a business with that type of return, I'd be out of business. Exactly. And I think Hollywood has embraced the idea that Christians will take crumbs. So we'll have these faith-based movies, um, and, and, and we'll basically throw them a crumb. We won't be using God's name in vain. We won't have a lot of skin showing on women. We won't have foul language. And we'll do a good job of showing how depraved people can be but when they get to the point where someone has turned around it's virtually impossible 
to show on the screen a new heart. Now, I've seen it done in specific movies in a particular way that you see someone's orientation to life is thoroughly different. Instead of dealing with anger by breaking something or threatening someone, you see him struggle within himself that he knows he has to control this because it's not honoring to God. So I believe it can be done, but I have seen it rarely take place because they're counting on the fact that they're preaching to the choir. And unfortunately, sometimes the choir's theology isn't all that good. No, but that is an excellent point that it's almost exclusively people who are already in tune with the message of a particular religiously oriented film, I mean, specifically religious like Christian or otherwise, who are going to see this, and so they will have some uh, preloaded appreciation for some of the things being talked about. And I think, too, as you indicated, uh, maybe also a recognition that there is a shortfall here because you cannot picture or capture the divinity of Christ I know some TV series or motion pictures have made some effort to and s- somehow capture some aspect of the resurrection. Uh, I've never, ever seen that done in any way. And even if you could find uh, the, the most sophisticated, highly paid, advanced technological special effects people that do all the big sci-fi and other fantasy-type movies to go to work on that, it still would not be able to capture exactly what happened and uh, in the resurrection. Um, the other thing is I want to go back. You said something about we're not against telling stories, and that is absolutely true, and one reason we're not is because that is what Jesus did. You know, he told parables. He told stories. But the thing about that is is that Jesus didn't, say, walk up to a group of people and say, you know, um, you, you really should understand a little bit more about it, what it means to love your neighbor. So if you will go over there in that place, they're doing a dramatic play, and you can watch it, and it'll tell you what you need to know. No, he got, in, he got involved with them himself. It was a one-on-one personal responsibility that he had and that we have as his followers to communicate this information. Sure, these, these films maybe in some measure can be helpful on some level, but the issue is, is this what we are primarily called to be about doing? And uh, finally, let me just say this. Why do people go to movies? They go to be entertained. That's the whole purpose and project of a motion picture in a film. Uh, except for me, I go to get the popcorn. But uh, uh, but that you have to think about, this is what really motivates people. Whether you're going to see a historical film about some event in American history or European history, people want to see that in a way that entertains them. Or the documentary will be a time spent in trying to learn something you don't know. But let me go back to the idea of preaching to the choir. You always got to figure out which choir. I remember newly being converted and we were reading a regular Christian publication, actually a series of them. And it was right around the time that the movie E.T. came out. E.T. is a Spielberg movie, I think. Yeah, it's a Spielberg movie, and it's about this extraterrestrial. Well, Christians saw the gospel. Scientologists saw Scientology. (laughs) Hare Krishna people saw how this was exactly like that. And so what message was communicated? Well, if depending on your point of view, if it was very clear to you, I, re- I remember when the movie Annie came out, Christian said she's a messianic figure. Annie is a messianic figure? Well, if you're so desperate to try to have some influence in the culture, let's frame 
the movie, the musical Annie, and make her messianic. Wow. It's interesting that you bring that up because uh, one of my uh, favorite movies in the sci-fi genre is the original The Day the Earth Stood Still, starring Michael Rennie. I had seen that film many times before I had heard someone point out that it had messianic overtones. I mean, here is a visitor who comes down from the sky. Uh, at one point, he's killed, and he is resurrected. He has a message of peace, a message of judgment. Uh, there's the giant robot who maybe in some way represents John the Baptist or the Holy Spirit. I know, you know, the, these are things that uh, professors in film studies departments at universities busy themselves with. But what was interesting to me about that movie as I was reading the history of it was the scene in which the lead character, the, the spaceman, is shot and killed, and he's taken inside the spaceship and put on this device that brings him back to life. There's uh, the, the Patricia O'Neill, who is the... Uh, the female lead role, she witnesses this and uh, she says, are you going to live forever now? Or will you, excuse me, will you, will you eventually die? And in the movie, he says, no one knows that but the great spirit. And what was interesting as I was reading the history of the movie, the dialogue originally said, no one knows that but almighty God. But Hollywood, the directors insisted that it be changed to quote the great spirit. If what they want is people to come and buy a movie ticket, they're often going to cater to what it is that people want to see. Well, the message of the gospel is offensive. So if we're really going to make a movie that says, hey, you are a sinner, hopelessly lost, and apart from Jesus Christ, you are going to spend eternity in hell. I don't think too many people say, do we really want to make that movie? So let's make a movie that sort of gets them to the door, but doesn't really, I mean, or just opens it a crack and then figure they'll walk in. Or let's just give them an appetizer, but let's not give them a real meal here, because if we give them a real meal, they're going to be offended. And good golly, the last thing we want to be as Christians is offensive. Well, we've mentioned a few uh, films by name, some of them older ones. But there are more recent ones, say within the past five years, that got a lot of promotion and interest among uh, evangelicals especially. Uh, Fireproof is one. There was another one, I think, more recent than that. Uh, have you seen any of these films, and can you comment on them from the standpoint about which we are speaking? Well, I've seen probably all of them, only in as much as I like to be a cultural observer to kind of see what the takeaway is. I'm actually a real pain to go to any movie or watch any television program because immediately I'm going to start talking worldview and what somebody thinks about it. And I remember once my kids just said, look, we're not going to watch movies anymore. This is no fun talking to you after we've watched a movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of my training of my children was at least identify where the person is coming from. Well, let me share one movie that I think um, really sort of summed it up. It was called End of the Spear, and it was about missionaries who had gone in to help a group of uh, natives. I was into the Ecuadorian rainforest, and it's the story of how these missionaries were killed and then how people went back to, to evangelize them. Interestingly enough, clearly a Christian movie the name Jesus Christ was mentioned never. Wow. Not once. Not once. Oh, we would talk about God, but we wouldn't talk about Jesus Christ, which, of course, is the name above all names, and it's the one that's most offensive. 
which is the one you can't say unless you are using it as an expletive. Secondly, there was a big scandal attached to the movie because the person who they selected and hired to be this missionary turned out to be a practicing homosexual. Hmm. So the producers of the movie, then when, when this came out, right when the movie was being done, um, it, it actually hurt sales a little bit because you have to say, okay, who did they choose to communicate the role of the good Christian, but someone who's living life that's obviously not. And now we go back to the whole idea of, is it important that the person who's portraying something actually believe it? Or are they just a good actor? And so if we see them in this film, and, oh, I was really moved. It was like I could see the transformation that happened in his life. And then you see him in the next film, and he's shooting up the place because he's the bad guy, or he's the good guy who's shooting up the place. Don't we get confused? Don't we end up identifying the actor with the message? And that's why people can get so disappointed because, wait a minute, I saw this movie, and this actor was – he looked like he really believed it. And yet, as you mentioned, the the lead character in that particular film uh, turned out to be a practicing homosexual. Uh, and I think that that harkens back to an earlier discussion we had a few episodes ago in which I mentioned uh, things like predictive programming and revelation of the method, or in this case, I think it's a type of psychological warfare. You know, p- People know that when they make that kind of selection for actors and actresses, that this information is known and can be known, and that it will have profound psychological impact on people who will see, oh, well, you know, this person's engaged in this particular lifestyle, but look how they portrayed this character. So there's a a bit of uh, cognitive dissonance going on with that that can only damage um, those who aren't um, uh, on top of what's actually being done. But I think another thing is that many of these films are, the ones that are, claim to be overtly Christian and they're promoting a Christian message. The, the question is, at the end of the day, what are people being told? Even if they are told, even if the lead character was to stop at the end of the movie and say, to all of you watching here in the studio, please turn to Christ. Well, that may be a laudable thing, but you know what? Our landscape is riddled with churches and preachers and TV evangelists who've been telling Americans that for decades. And where has it gotten us? We need people to be telling people to become followers of Jesus, uh, to get about the business of constructing a civilization in the midst of this crumbling one in which we find ourselves, and to obey God's law and follow his commands. Uh, this, this is the problem with a lot of these films, is that they promote pietism. They promote the fact that if you feel good about Jesus, if you feel good about yourself, if you've confessed the fact that you stole that money or cheated on your spouse or whatever, uh, then you can go to the local church and sing the praise songs and don't worry about the rest of everything else because the rapture is coming around the corner. Let me just interrupt you here for a second. You mentioned earlier some of these other films and you mentioned Fireproof. Well, the Kendrick brothers are two pastors, or at least one of them is a pastor, and the story surrounding their moving into filmmaking is a rather interesting one, and it shows something about how the body of Christ can work. The Kendrick brothers felt called to make movies and their local church and then eventually other churches decided to help them in the process. And so they had a tremendous amount of volunteer 
work that was done so that they didn't have to pay the kind of money that Hollywood pays to hire people to, you know, supply the cast with food and to do makeup and, and things of that nature. And they actually learned the craft of movie making and began to then teach others how to do it. And so there's a whole series of them and I've seen all of them. And because I'm, you might say, focused on what theology comes out of it, I'm often less than thrilled. As a matter of fact, their view of dominion has much more to do with getting your thinking straight and then working with your family, which I think is great, building up the family. But I don't think they communicate particularly well that man's response to God in identifying what the sin that we call original sin is, is man's attempt to play God. And where do you play God? And you play God in terms of deciding, well, all forms of recreation are fine. All forms of, you know, buying a movie ticket are fine. Is it possible that these faith-based movies really encourage a pietism rather than the full-orbed faith of the Great Commission that says, disciple the nations? What are you going to disciple them in? That you shouldn't cheat on your wife? Well, that's a good idea to tell people not to cheat on their wife. But isn't cheating on your wife a symptom of failing to obey God in terms of loving him completely and loving your neighbor or your wife in terms of what God's law says is actually love? Also, the probably the, the most significant manifestation of worshiping the creature rather than the creator comes to bear in the worship of the state uh, and the way that the state's power and influence is promoted in some of these films, uh, whether it be through uh, the the worship of the military, a uh, certain political party or political figures, the police force, uh, all of these things that somehow are ginned up to bolster uh, the, the, the central authority of the state. Uh, as long as it's got an American flag hanging in it and it mentions God, then it must be the same thing as what we talk about as Christians. I, I want to, if I may, wrap this up a little bit by saying that I believe in, at the end of the day, again, although these means may be helpful in some measure for some people, it's not to say that God can't use any and all means to bring people about, but as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, and I'm paraphrasing somewhat, uh, that the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effective means of convincing and converting sinners and building them up to faith unto salvation. And that has been the means and methods that God himself has ordained to bless primarily uh, in, in the work that we do as dominion people in proclaiming the kingdom of Christ. Okay. Well, before we close, there's two kinds of subparts or subgenres in these Christian faith-based movies that I would like to address. One, it's the miraculous cures of people. Somebody was very sick. Uh, sometimes it's children who are very sick, and something, some intervention happens. And it's a true story, but the movie says it's based on a true story. So there is some license taken, obviously, because they have to compress it into a certain amount of time. And in these stories, oftentimes the children have an encounter with Jesus. And they talk about they were in this garden and it was beautiful and there was all this, um, everybody was happy. And so 
because in this story, it's based on a true story, this is what these children or what these adults, depending on the story, saw, that must be what heaven is like. Well, let's say the producers say, this part of the story is a little boring, so let's just add this in. And they've probably contracted with the people whose story they're telling, and they've probably already been given their uh, amount for you know, the, the, the cost of let us tell your story. And this was driven home with me with a couple that I knew that were a good Christian couple, and it was their story of how in the midst of his debilitating illness, they continued to share the gospel message, and he and she, reading his lips because he had Lou Gehrig's disease, would go to prisons and talk to people, and they really did have an effect on people. Well, that didn't get shown in the movie, and the movie sort of focused on the problem of the rebellious teenage girl that they you know, was going through, and it even tried to insert, which the couple said, don't do this, that she was sort of, you know, flirting with someone else because her husband was not in a position to, you know, be a true husband to her. And they said, get that out of the movie. That never happened. But there could be people, if they didn't know it, that would say, oh, well, that's what happened because I saw it for myself, you know. So if you see it, it must be true. Just like when I said the story of Ruth or the Ten Commandments, that was my first introduction. And so that must be how it happened because I saw a movie about it. Yes. The second one are these movies that are attempts at apologetics and, you know, the whole God is not dead uh, series of movies or the case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Now, again, I don't want to say that these people's motivation was to lead people astray, but in each of these kinds of movies that are apologetics kind of movies, what they're saying is let us show you how Christianity makes sense. Let us show you conclusively that if you're a rational individual, you have to embrace this. Well, the problem with evidential apologetics, and we've talked a little bit about this in the past, has to do with the fact we're still making man the measure of whether something's true or not, as opposed to this is what God has revealed. We may not like it. We may not fully understand it. We may not agree with it, but it's still what God's word says and we have to communicate a presupposition that says he's God. He makes the rules. He's God. He says what's right or wrong, not whether or not it makes sense to us, because isn't it true, Charles? Our intellect is also fallen. Indeed it is, and that's another example of some of the shortcomings of these efforts in spite of their motivations and their intentions. Um, unless you are coming at this from a full-orbed faith and a full understanding, um, there are going to be these shortfalls that end up perhaps not accomplishing anywhere near what the stated purpose of the film is. Uh, well, Andrea, in, in, in wrapping up this podcast, I would like to recommend a couple of resources to our listeners, um, both by R.J. Rushdooney. One is called To Be as God, A Study of Modern Thought Since the Marquis de Sade, and the other is called The Death of Meaning. In both of these books, uh, Dr. Rush Dooney interacts with modern culture and how things like literature and art uh, have influenced uh, modern thinking. And although he doesn't deal, I don't think, specifically with motion pictures in these books, nevertheless, he deals with some of the ideas that are back of many of them. And I think our listeners would find both these books an excellent resource to follow up on the themes that we've talked about. Do you have any suggestions today? 
I think if I'm not mistaken, but you can find this if you go to the Calcedon site, there was a journal of Christian reconstruction that was done on the media and the arts. Yes. And I believe if you put in media and the arts, all the things, whether it's a recording or a video will come up. And the reason I say it is I don't want anybody to have a takeaway that says, stop telling stories, but let's tell true stories and let's as much as possible demonstrate what a Christian culture looks like and what creates a Christian culture. Because so many people were educated, not with a Christian education, but a humanistic one. Their efforts often are, let's add Jesus to this, you know, so we've made our pot of stew and treat it like a little bit of salt. We need a little bit of Jesus in here and that'll make it better. Jesus has to be the foundation of the stew. You just can't add him into it and then hope that it'll all taste good or truly be nutritious. And on that excellent note, we will bid farewell to our listeners today. We thank you all for listening. And um, Andrea, would you mind telling our folks how they can get in touch with us if they'd like to? Go to outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Andrea. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, visit www.kingdomdrivenfamily.com.